Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Budge, joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej, boys. How's it going this afternoon, man? You look good? I'm good, Budge, man. How are you? I'm excited for this one. Obviously, yeah. first current Premier League ball on the platform, so big up. 100%, 100%. Definitely looking forward to it. You know, it is, it is a very uh, big milestone for us, um, so, so, so raring, raring to go, man. How about you, Dej? Yeah, I'm blessed, bro. Like, happy to be here. Obviously, we're welcoming on someone to the platform that used to run rings around me when younger. <laughs> but we'll get into it on the pod. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, um, you know, it's 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 a very big and special episode for us, and we're all uh, very very excited. We are joined by a very special guest indeed. You know, he's uh, the midfield maestro of the Magpies, <laughs> who's um, been capped six times by England. He's uh, uh, an all-action linchpin in the uh, engine room of Newcastle United who isn't afraid to uh, roll his sleeves up and get down and dirty. Make of that what you will. Um, he's a bit of a graffiti artist, the way he sprays the ball about the centre. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's made 131 appearances in all competitions for Newcastle United and scored first. He's also played for Liverpool, Swansea, Blackpool and Charlton Athletic where he started his senior career and still maintains the record as their youngest ever player at 16 years and 59 days uh, old. He's also very uh, uh, um, good with money and, and quite financially astute. And he'd probably purchase his household appliances off the back of a lorry if it meant that he sa- it saved him a few quid. <laughs> Without further ado, we welcome John Joe Shelby to the platform. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's Thank a you, pleasure man. to welcome you onto our platform, John Joe. You're someone that, you know, we've admired from a time. So, Absolutely. you know, we're happy to get you on. 100%. Do you know what, Dej? 
Um, you, you obviously alluded to it um, initially, but let's kick things off with that story. T- take us back to that, that tournament that you were talking to us about earlier on. Yeah. How, 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 what was that like? Yeah, so imagine it was like an under-15 Nike tournament. So it was all like the best teams from, you know, the country joining up for like a weekend in Coventry. I remember the opening ceremony. I think Theo Walcott gave a speech. We were all inside some auditorium. And obviously I was playing for Crystal Palace and uh, John Joe was at Charlton. The two were drawn in the same group as each other. So we ended up playing against each other in a game. I think it was the opening game. We drew 1-1. And I mean, John Joe... It's like he had a halo around him inside the midfield. The way he would just to his left, pick up the ball, spray it. Then at half time, the manager was like, Come on, we need to get close to John Joe. And obviously, we ended up doing a job on him in the second half, and we ended up drawing 1 1. I'm not sure if John Joe remembers. It's funny because, like, Dej always used to tell me about this story, and he was like, Jack and John Joe, those two ballers, they were always going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, and boy, have they made it. So, yeah, it was a good story. 100%. It's actually funny because, um, again, I mentioned it when I was um, uh, introing uh, John Joe to the platform. He obviously, um, throughout his youth career, was at um, Arsenal for a little while and, and, um, and then um, later on joined Charlton and then went, um, uh, uh, made his debut like, as a senior at Charlton. And I remember around that time, um, I was also starting off doing my coaching badges and I was doing them down at Charlton. And I remember going down to the training ground up in, uh, in Elton. And it was, it was one of those where everyone was talking about John Joe, which is all of the people that we were working with were like, this guy is, 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 the, is, is, is the next best thing. And I think at that point, it was everyone around the club, that, 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 the, 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 the mumblings and the rumours around the club were that, you know, a few different clubs were... Were, were caught in interest and, and asking about him and whatnot. So it was like at that point where everyone was like, yeah, he's, he's going he, he's gonna to move on to, to bigger and better things. And I guess the first question I wanted to ask you, John Joe, is how, like, what, what, how do you manage that change from like, I think the best way that I can, I can, I can explain it is if I use a term like going from the, uh, the big fish in a small pond to a, to a, a, a small fish in a big pond kind of thing. You know, you're, you're the main man and the team's being built around you at Charlton and you go and make a move to a, a, a big club like Liverpool, for example. Like, h- how do you manage that, that shift in dynamic mentally and, 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 and how was it for you? Uh, it's, it's a tough question, to be fair, because, like, you, you obviously, like you said, you're the, one of the probably the best players at the, at the club at the time at Charlton and then then moving to a club such as Liverpool, which has got so much history. And you, you, I'm a kid from down south. I don't know anything about the north. Yeah. And uh, I remember it was a time of, of BBM and uh, Blackberry. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I used to put on, on my status thing, M6, M1, M62, M57, all this, like, to, to break down the, the journey. But, yeah, it was, it was a bit surreal. I mean... My brother, my brother was he's two years above me, and obviously he was uh, he was working in the city, so I had to borrow one of his suits on the day I signed because obviously. <laughs> so I got the train up to the city with my brother and my dad, and then my brother went off to work, and then me and my dad went up on the train. 
to Liverpool and we met my um, agent in Liverpool at the station and then went over to the went over to the training ground and obviously had a tour of the training ground and, and signed all the stuff and it was just mad because I walked into the changing rooms and you just see like uh, Gerard, Xavi Alonso and people like that in the changing rooms and it's just like <laughs> this is a different ballpark do you know what I mean mm. I grew up watching these people so you, it was like it was it was intimidating but it was exciting as well and that that was in the May and I went back to Cholton after I'd signed the, the documents and um, Liverpool had made a, a deal with Cholton that I, could, I wasn't allowed to play in the playoffs at Cholton so it sort of killed me a bit because I was I wasn't starting at, at um, Liverpool until the until the July in pre-season, so I had like a month month and a half of living indoors on my own. So I wasn't allowed to go back to, uh, to the training ground at Cholton in case I got injured. So it was hard. But then come July, I was just so excited and so raring to go, and and it was just a, a great feeling to be at a club like Liverpool. And I think Cholton needed the money at the time. So it was obviously struggling in the championship and it was sort of mid, lingering around mid-table and stuff like that and, and uh, they needed the dough. So it was it made sense for all parties and mm. and I knew that I was going to go there and I wasn't actually go straight into the team and stuff like that. And so it was a matter of just trying to learn and pick up things and from these great players and great coaches and, and, and try and bide me time. Yeah, so just going back to Charlton, as you touched on, obviously playing under Pards and um, Phil Parkinson, obviously getting relegated from the Championship and going into League One. Um, how massive were Charlton for you in terms of your development? Because yeah. we see a lot of you know young, talented players. You know, it's a good catchment area in Charlton. They know how to you know nurture talent with Gomez as well. So, so how big were they for you? I think it was probably the best. When I moved from West uh, West Ham to go to Cholton, I had a year out and played local football for for a, when I was twelve, and then went into Cholton, and um, it was the best decision I could have made because I could have I could have gone to any club in the country to be honest at that age. But so, which a, teams were interested in you as well? I had, I had all of them interested to, to be honest with you. During at that age, they they was all ringing my my dad, and <laughs> <laughs> I was like playing in the park with my mates on a, on a, on a Sunday, but I lost the interest in, I'd lost that competitiveness, do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. at Academy Football back then, it was more his development and, and stuff like that, where I wanted to go out and play for three points and, and for it to mean something. So, yeah, it, but I feel, I feel that going into Cholton, it was probably the, the quickest path that I could have t- took to first-team football because it wasn't a top, top club. But it was still a club that was in the Premiership. Then they got obviously got relegated, and that gave me an opportunity, my, my chance. Obviously, um, during your time at Charlton, you were dubbed as one of the brightest English prospects um, coming through in the game at the time. How did you temper your expectations? Because a lot of people were expecting massive things of you at that time. Um, I didn't. I didn't have social media back then. Mm. I think social media wasn't a, ma- a massive thing back then. It was more you pick up the newspapers and and stuff like that. And I think I, I've always been protected by my family in terms of reading stuff and and believing. Because at the end of the day, you can still 
be regarded as one of the best players in, in the country and then you get to a Saturday or a Sunday and then there's people, there's someone in the, in the same boat as you and if he, get, if he gets the better of you on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday, people are going to start talking about him. So it's more to give the people reasons to talk about than to start listening to it and start, start believing the hype. So, so just very quickly, just a follow-up. Sorry, Bodge. Um, obviously, you, you were attracting interest from, you know, some of the best clubs in the country. And, you know, later on, you did move to Liverpool. Um, why, why did you choose Liverpool? Pardon? I lost you there, sorry. Now, um, obviously, you were attracting interest from a lot of the top clubs in the country when you were at Charlton. Yeah. What made you choose Liverpool? To be fair, it was just the fact of Gerard. Mm. I just wanted to. I obviously, I still to this day love the love them. He's just a. He's my hero. Right, that's all I, all I used to do was. I mean, I did, did an interview the other day, and they said like, "Who was your hero growing up?" And like, my mates used to go out on a Friday night, graffiti, and, and I'd have a. I had a, I had a girlfriend back then, and. Like she'd be out of all my mates and all of her mates and that, and I'm sitting indoors, mate, watching Ger- uh, Gerard. Indeed, and it's like <laughs> you feel like you're missing out. And I cried numerous occasions in my room where my mum and dad won't let me go out and be mm. a wall in Brentwood or Romford. And but looking back at it, I was I was so uh, driven and and well well prepared to reach the top that I wasn't gonna let. My dad or my mum wasn't going to let me throw that away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what, John? I was about to ask you a different question, but I've got a follow up from uh, from Dot from Dot's question there, right? And obviously, you, like Gerard was your boyhood hero. Like you watch his DVDs when you were growing up and whatnot. So, and and also whilst you were at Liverpool, correct me if I'm wrong, but you also lived like not too far from him. Yeah. As well, right? I lived next door to him. So, so what what was what was that like? Like. Did you, do you know what I mean, were you looking out your window, like, seeing when he was going to pop to the <laughs> my, bed, my, bedroom, my bedroom toilet looked directly into his back, like the back of his house. So it was just like, crazy. Just sit in the toilet for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just mad, like, he'd text you and say, uh, like, do you want to like, drive in tomorrow together and drive, like, drive home and, and like for me, like a kid off council estate, and so is he. Like mm. he's done so much in the game that you just—it was just like wow. Do you know what I mean? Amazing. And like, I remember I had to borrow my sister's car one to obviously take him in, and it was like it was a little Mercedes. And she, uh, she, she said to me, "I'm not washing them. I'm not washing them seats." <laughs> well, because Gerard sat on them. <laughs> that's, that's quality. So, it, from from the sounds of things as well, John Joe, it's like your your family are are all um, sort of tight knit and, and and very supportive of you. And and obviously, you come from a footballing family. You, you know, um, your brother. You, you say, um, were, uh, were, were you used to be? Um, to be honest, I'd still say he is. Like technically, seriously, but he just. I mean, he's a football agent now. Yeah, but he's uh, and he's got a lot of players at, at the at Palace, the youth level, and, and stuff like that. But he's um, he was just never he never had the discipline that I that I had. Was he was he a midfielder as well? No, left left winger. So he's a left left footed player. Crazy. But like, I mean, he he was just ridiculous. 
like technically the things he could pass people and stuff like that. It just it was different. It was, it was something I can't still can't explain. But mm. he never had that. You need you need to have that drive and that passion. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. He, 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 he fell into that trap of going out with girls and drinking and, and stuff like that. And, and I remember uh, my dad got him a trial at Charlton when I was still playing in the first team. And uh, he was plumbing at the time, my brother. And uh, yeah, Phil, Phil Parkinson was the manager. And I said to my brother, like, look, I'll pay your wage that you're, you're getting from your plumbing. You've got a six-month trial. I'll pay your wages. And uh, like he says, you're going to probably be your last chance to get make it into the into the game. You went, no, nah, I can't bother. <laughs> but, uh, like you could probably still go back to your plumbing after. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he just, do you know what I mean? He just, it was just, it's a, it's, a, it's a shame, but there's so many footballers out there like, like that. Do you know what I mean? But mm. I think you've either got that determination and drive or, or you haven't. Yeah, so John Joe, you alluded to it earlier on that you made the big move to obviously we're Liverpool fans on this platform, me and Dot. And when you think about Liverpool as a football club, rich in history, rich in traditions, how was it mentally making that jump from like League One into like elite Premier League where the fans are so expectant? Mm. And even at that time, it was a team that wasn't really performing on the pitch, finishing seventh and, seventh and eighth. So how did you find that? Uh, I think for me, going into the, to Liverpool at that time, it was probably the, probably the best thing for me because, like you said, the team wasn't achieving what, what, it, what it had, had done in the past. They had lost a lot of players and it, it sort of gave me an opportunity to, get, to get, try and get games and stuff like that. So I think for me it was it was all right, and I've always been one of these people that, like, I don't really pay attention to what people, people outside of the the, the coaching staff or or your family or your teammates say. I just sort of listen to who who I need to listen to. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it wasn't really, I wasn't really phased by the the size of the club or or the 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 fear of of. of making stuff like if you make a mistake so what you just get back on the ball and try it again you know what I mean and that's I think that's how you build character as well in terms of stuff like that it's interesting because I kind of want to you know I shouldn't say counter but obviously during the time um, Liverpool as they've alluded to were struggling and I think in October 2010 FSG purchased the club um so it was a very, very difficult time um, for the club. So now looking back at it now, do you feel like that move almost came too early for you because you had so many managers? You had Roy Hodgson and then he went, you had Kenny Douglas, who showed a lot of faith in you, and then you had Brendan Rodgers. Uh, I wouldn't say the move came too early for me. Uh, I've never really thought about it. I've just, mm. like, at the end of the day, you're 17 years of age. The man that you've always adored and based your game on, and he plays for that team, and that team comes into Bayer. You've like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to turn it down. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to mm. not go. It's like the, the chance of a lifetime. What about if I said no, got injured, and then that that move never comes around? Mm. No, that's true. One of them things where you need to. 
I, I wanted to play at the top level and, and I don't regret moving to Liverpool. I think it was the right move to, to, to do and to learn from better players than what I was obviously playing with. And it obviously didn't work out at Liverpool, but it was a move that I, I wanted to take and, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, so John Joe, um, as Dot alluded to again, um, FSG were major surgery on the team. In one of the transfer windows, you know, they bought Charlie Adam for 6.7 million. They bought Jordan Henderson for 16 million. So as a player being brought before, mentally, where you were, are you thinking, wow, these players are being brought in to take my position? Or are you seeing it like, you know what, this is a battle and I'm going to fight to be in this team? Aoife, I didn't really, like, understand football at that point in terms of the signings and uh, new ownership and, and stuff like that. It's only when you get older, you start to realise that. Um, you, at the end of the day, Liverpool are going to buy players every window. That's just the way it is. Uh, for me, being the youngest of that group, sort of, you just mentioned, you didn't. It's not really. It didn't really play on my mind because I knew that. I mean, I could have stayed at Liverpool at the end of the at end of the time that I was there, but it didn't really phase me about bringing players. And I mean, I'm Brendan bought in Joe Allen, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Raul Morelles. Mm-hmm. Aquilani was there when I signed. Mm-hmm. Um, they brought in Christian Paulson from mm-hmm. from I think it was from Juventus or Ajax or something like that. But um, yeah, it didn't really phase me. But I, feel, I think it's only when you get older you start to obviously realise like, is he going to be coming in to take my <laughs> stuff like that? Where at that age you don't you don't care. You just just in the moment playing football. In 2012, there was that massive game, Liverpool versus Manchester United. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to talk as a fan here, John Joe. Um, I love your passion. I love your heart. Obviously, you got a red card um, and you got sent off and you were walking off the pitch and you had um, an altercation with Sir Alex Ferguson. For me as a fan, I love to see that. My player cares. Or do you almost feel that that was the beginning of the end of your Liverpool career? Uh, no, because I even after that, I, I mean, two weeks after that, I made an England, I got my England call up. So it was a bit like, you, I think that's sort of a, you can't really say that. But I, was I wrong? Yeah. Do I regret it? Yeah. But it is what it is. It's one of them things that happen in football. It's just, I looked over from the corner of my eye and, and see him into the fourth official's ear. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair yeah. to him, so Alex like, came out and said, you know what? I, I like that. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got a bit ah. about him sort of thing because no one ever stood up to Sir Alex Ferguson. So it was almost like, wow. You know, he's almost towing the line here. So I've seen him in the tunnel after and apologised to him, obviously, straight away. But I, I, don't get me wrong, he's the, probably the greatest manager that's ever going to manage in England. The achievements he's, he's had is just ridiculous. But I'm not, obviously, not going to be fearful of, of, of that. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm. I, you just, it's one of them heat of the moment things and it happened. 
I tried to obviously move it on. You get a lot of publicity off of it that I, yeah. I, I don't really like publicity. To be honest with you, I don't. I don't. Do, people up here don't. The the media up here like they know not to really ask me for interviews. Like don't like talking. <laughs> we can't tell that, John. John. We can't. Talk, but then I just spill beans and things like that. <laughs> and I can't keep my, my mouth shut when I do talk. So it's still, no, it was just one of them things that I do. I regret. It? Yeah, if if I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't do it again. You, you, I'm older. I'll, you learn from your mistakes. Mm. I, mean, I probably was only 18, 19 at the time. So looking back, it was a very brave thing to do. But I was like, that's my future captain. I wanted to ask, like, how difficult is it to manage not only your, like, your, your temper, but your mentality from game to game as well? Because that week was definitely like a yo-yo week for you, right? Up and down. Like, a few days before that game, you, you, you were playing against um, young boys in the... Um, in the Europa League and you scored two goals and you guys win, was it 5-3? Yeah. And then, so, so you're, you're, you're like, do you know what I mean? Right up here. And then a few days later, like, hero to villain in, in a couple of days. Do you know what I mean? So how, how difficult is it to manage, like, the mental side of that and, and, and dealing with that from game to game? Well, I, um, I obviously got off the plane that night. Obviously, it was a Thursday night and the game was on the Sunday. And... Obviously, got back into training and found out that I was going to be playing on the on the Sunday. I was driving home and I sent my mum and dad a text to say that I'm I'm going to be playing tomorrow. And like, it's just a, I just want to thank you for everything that you've done, like for me growing up, driving me all around the country and and making me like push me to to obviously limit to to succeed and and. Like, because growing up, Liverpool menu was the, it's one of the biggest games in this country, and I was going to be a part of that. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. sort of like made me sit, made me uh, send a shiver down my spine to, and 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 text my mum and dad and and let them know and to say thanks. They're the reason why that I've got got this far and the reason why I'm about to play and probably one of the reasons to play in and. Um, like my mum and dad obviously spoke to each other and there was obviously brought a tear to their eye and then the next day you're going to get sent off. <laughs> yeah, so John Joe, you know, speaking about that sending off, what was the reaction in the dressing room? Because obviously I've played the game, I've been sent off and when you get into the change room, you're thinking, oh, I've let the boys down and in a game of that magnitude, the biggest game in the English football calendar, how did you feel? And also, how were the teammates around you? Were they consoling you? Or were they sort of like, John Joe, man, you let us down. Come on, you can't be doing that. No one said that, but you sort of got the impression that that was the case. But they all sort of like put their arm around me. I was still a young kid at the, mm-hmm. at the time. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I still to this day don't, don't think it was a sending off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I've come... Yeah, an angle like so. I don't know how it was a red card, and I don't. I think to this day, the players that I was playing with at the time, they said to me, "It's not a red card." 
I've got a pit, there's a picture somewhere that where it shows him going two footed and me coming at the side, mm-hmm. and like you want to you want to tweak stuff like that, but you just you can't because we're the ones that get in trouble for for things like that for people making mistakes. But it's like I said, it's one of them things. But the team, it was more the the fans obviously on Twitter and stuff like that. They they're the ones that because you'd lost the game, you obviously get the blame for it, and and rightly so, you were sent off, but. You have to just put it to the put it to one side and and learn and move on. I think John Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like after that moment, a lot of pundits came out and said, "Oh, John Joe, he's got an attitude problem." What do you have to say to people that say things like that? I don't really listen to him, to be honest with you. Mm. I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I respect respect him as 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 players, but then. You, they come out and say stuff, and then you 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 see them. You're gonna see them, and, and you'll see them in 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 other events and things like that. And then they'll try and want to be your mate and, and talk to you. About it. Like, <laughs> I don't listen to them. I don't get me wrong. I respect people as players and 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 stuff like. That. And when they do talk, they they do talk a lot of sense in in, in a lot of things, but. I mean, I'd never want to watch, sit there and watch Monday night football and listen to them talk and, and stuff like that. I'd normally just switch it on for the game and, and stuff like that. And even on a Sunday, Super Sunday or something like that, I'll never watch them talking and I'll just watch the games. And, and I just think that, especially if they're not football people, mm. people try and, try and have an opinion, then I'm sorry that... Like, you don't really know football. You're not. You've never played at that top level, so you can't comment. But like you say, everyone's entitled to their their, their opinion. But I just tend to not not listen to them. And if they want to label that as a bad attitude and, and stuff like that, then that's fair enough. Yeah, John Joe. I just wanted to touch quickly on Brendan Rodgers. You know, this is a manager that's obviously at Leicester now, and he's doing big things. He went to um, Celtic, you know, Scotland to rehabilitate. Liverpool um, regime how was he like to work with because when you speak to a lot of young players particularly from like South London they always talk about he's that fatherly and human touch so how did you find it working with him yeah I mean it was very different to managers I had previously I mean he'd come into the dressing rooms and give you a spud and and, and (laughs) 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 Put his arm around her, do you know what I mean? And I think that's I think as a player that's that's good. But in terms of coaching, one of the best. How were sessions like? What were the sessions like? Sessions were unbelievable. There was all present uh, little possessions and and little games and and stuff like that. And it was probably the most enjoyable when I was at Liverpool with with Brendan in terms of the the, the training and. And uh, that side of it, and and I'll add Steve Clark to that as well. Who took the mm-hmm. session? Kenny, he was he was very similar into the way he worked, and I think that was a lot of. And they'd been at Chelsea as obviously together, so the the sessions were. Fair, fair point. So obviously, after a little while at, um, at Liverpool, um, you moved on to to Swansea. Um, and, and was central in that team, and, and of course played with you know a number of, of, of really really top players. 
And there was one in particular that I wanted to ask you about, John Joe, and that is uh, Michu. So obviously, he had an absolutely outstanding campaign in 2012-2013, uh, right? And at the, at the, at the end of the, the season, everyone, everyone was doing that, that celebration. Um, and I think he scored, was it 18 goals in five games? And the season before that, he was at uh, Rio uh, Vallecano, mm. and he scored 15-37 uh, there, right? So he's obviously come, hit, hit the ground running, first season in the Prem, and he's absolutely like, you know, just just turning up every single week and whatnot, right? After that season, though, it seemed to, like his, his, his form fell off a cliff and he couldn't really regain form after that. Um, what do you think was the reason for that? What, where, where did it all go wrong for him? I think when I signed, he was sort of their main, main guy in terms of goals and that. And then a week after I signed, uh, Wilfred Boney signed. And I think that, I think that person knocked the, the sort of stuffing out of him a little bit. Because Wilfred coming on a big deal and, and as like the main striker and... And after that, it didn't really work out for, for me too. I mean, I only played with him for, I think it was about six, six seven months. And, um, but you could tell his finishing was just ridiculous. But he, he, i tell you a story, yeah. We got these bands to wear, like when you go to sleep. Yeah. And they monitor you to obviously show you how much you're sleeping and stuff like that. And uh, they put it all up on the screen in the canteen. So we had a meeting because there was a few lads obviously going to bed at like 12 and, and not getting much <laughs> and stuff like that. On one, on one graph, it showed that someone was sleeping for three hours a night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, me. Uh, what was he doing? Tell that he was coming in and, and he, like eyes were just all like drowsy and puffy and and you could tell that he, he, like, he was either that or he's out on the town. Yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, it turned out that he was just up playing PlayStation. Mm. Mm. <laughs> in the morning. Wow. So that's probably why his form tailed off. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether he'd always been like that or, or, or it was a new thing, but he just he looked tired all the time. And then he got a bad injury. He just now, obviously, I don't even know what he's doing now. He's, he's sort of like disappeared on the face of the earth. But when he was at Swansea, he got a Spain call up. He played for Spain, yeah. And you don't get Spanish call ups, call ups if you if you can't play football. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, is he the best FIFA player I at the club? I'm not. I don't play them games, mate. Oh, don't you? No. <laughs> I got two kids, pal. <laughs> <laughs> no time. <laughs> yeah. So, John Joe. You know, when I look at your time at Swansea, it was kind of fresh off the, you know, Roberto Martinez, Brendan Rodgers, you know, Michael Laudrup, that kind of influence. And when I look at the team, obviously Chico Flores, Ashley Williams, you and Brits in the midfield patrolling it, keeping that possession. So do you feel working Rodgers, that aided you in terms of your adjustment into Swansea? Yeah, I mean, even when I was at Liverpool, when you used to play against Swansea, you used to hate it because you'd be, even though you was at this top club, you wouldn't see the ball, mate. It was one of them. And it was like, you know, back growing up during the youth, like the youth days at Charlton when you used to play Arsenal, 
Yeah. <laughs> so it was like it was like that. So I was just buzzing to put the team that obviously kept the ball and, and moved the ball. And I think going in there, Michael Loudrop helped me massively. He was uh, he was a great manager for me. He, um, he just if, he used to tell me off if I ever passed the ball backwards or sideways. It was always to play forward and keep the ball moving. And I remember my first few games there. We were playing in the Europa League in the qualifiers, and we was ripping teams apart. I mean, I was watching the games back the other day, and it was just, just frightening to the team. But um, I think being at Liverpool with Brendan, Steve Clark helped me in terms of going straight in there and hitting the ground running. John Joe, let's move on to the here and now. Um, obviously, we're going through the biggest global crisis um, since the World War. Um, how do you feel about possibly returning to football? Are you comfortable? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, mate, I just want there to be a decision now. Either play or or cancel the season. I just feel that got to the point, I mean, it might be selfish, but it's got to the point where you're training and you're, you're trying to motivate yourself and things like that. But I've got, I've got no problem going back and playing behind closed doors. It's just, you just want to get it boxed off and, 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 and done. I mean, I know that there's so much risk and, and, and stuff like that, but I think if everything's done right, then I don't see why not. All right, um, John Joe. Again, obviously, there's a lot of whirlwind of back to the Newcastle at the moment. We've seen like the hashtag cans that's been going viral. Obviously, alluding to the fact that basically all the fans will be on the piss once Mike Ashley um, leaves the club. And as of now, as we stand, it looks as if Amanda Staveley, the Ruben brothers, and the Saudi public fund are close to acquiring Newcastle. Um, football club there's been a lot of talk recently with regards to the human rights issues surrounding you know acquiring the club people are protesting as a player do you hold any views this potential takeover um no i mean i'm only um we're the same as the fans we don't know what's going on and i read the the internet to see or Sky Sports to see if there's been any latest update on that. And we don't we don't get told anything to honestly. It's just one of them. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, I know the club have been in this this situation on on a numerous of occasions, but at the end of the day, that that club obviously pays your wages. So it, for me, it doesn't matter. Obviously, who's in charge or, or whatever, and. You know, go in and do your job every day and, and, and make sure you stay stay on it. But obviously for the fans, it, they, they, they want a change of ownership. And, and if that happens, that's, that'll be great for the, for the fans and for the, for the club and probably for the city. But um, like we say, I'm, I'm literally looking, looking every day to see, to see what's happened. And, and I, you, do, you do see these hashtag cans everywhere. So. <laughs> So what do you think about it? What do you see? What's the player saying about it? Well, we don't. We to be fair, mate. Our group chat's not not one to go off. To be fair, okay, it's a quiet one. Very mellow. To be fair, <laughs> only when the takeover happens. That's when everyone. <laughs> uh, we, don't, we don't know. We find out when when the fans find out. I mean, it's it's obviously a shame that 
a lot of the staff had been furloughed, but we we obviously made the the donation to the to the the charities and and stuff like that. We've, we've got together with all the other clubs and, and and made a donation, but it's like what gets sent in yeah is our um, our programs for that week to do. Mm. You have to send in your body weight to to, to make sure you're not overweight. Mm. You keeping the timber off, John Joe? You keep you keep it off. I'm lucky to have a gym in the in the in the gaff and, and a pool, so it's it's I'm doing three sessions a day. Right. My, mm. sister, my sister's fellas up, so he's he's been training with me, so he's making me stay stay on it. So, John Joe, just what's your view on Mike Ashley? Because you know a lot of the Toon Army want him out. Obviously, the decision he made with Sports Direct, keeping them open during this pandemic, he got a lot of backlash, a lot of stick. So, what's your view on on the owner? Um, Mike's always been good, good to me. I mean, mm. he obviously bought me to the sanction the deal to bring me to the, the club, and every time I've met him, he's been he's been sound as sound as ever, anything. So I can't really say a bad word about him and. Look, I know that the, the the fans obviously don't don't want him here, but at the end of the day, he's, he's been absolutely fine with, with with me, and I think I'll probably speak on behalf of the players that he's been fine with them. But obviously, he's um, he, he just is what it is. Whether he feels his time's up, he's, he's that's obviously down to him. And I sort of tend to stay out of uh, business and words you see flying around about the, the deal and. And I'm like, what does what does that mean? <laughs> not very academically clever, anyway, as it is. But it's um, no, he's he's always been signed with with me. And if, I think anyone that I've obviously spoken to that's ever met him or been in his presence have always said that he's been he's been sound as well. But I mean, there's obviously that it's like fifty fifty, obviously with the with the with the fans. You know what I mean? Whether they like him or not, which majority probably don't. But they just see their obviously want their club to succeed. Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's a sticky topic, to be fair. And obviously, Jondra, you mentioned a bit earlier that um, in your in your opinion, you just want a decision to be made about whether to be cancelled or you're gonna you know, you're gonna get to play again and whatnot. But what what's the what's the attitude and the mentality like amongst the like the the, the rest of the, the dressing room and like in the group chats and that do you guys talk about it? What does everyone else share your same view? Do, are, are there people that just would prefer that the season ends or what's what's the general consensus? Yeah, I, I, obviously I wanna finish the the season. I've been I've been training so hard that I wanna obviously show people that you've been training so hard and get back to the football side of it. But obviously there is a massive risk but I just feel as for, it's like it's going to have to get, it's going to get to a time because of next season where it's now or never. Do you know what I mean? Like you have to make a decision soon. It's, it's just, you can't keep batting it off and batting it off and batting it off. But I just think, I mean, we don't really speak about it to be fair. We just get told what to do. And, and I think that's the problem. I think the problem is not knowing what's going to happen I think that's part of the mental obviously the mental side of it and you're obviously cooped up in your in your house all, all day and trying to entertain your kids and things like that and mm. really you're, you've been so regimented, regimented for 10 years in your life of getting up going to training coming home and you just want to get back into that that, that routine but 
it's sort of feels like you've retired from football at the minute. <laughs> yeah. You you're so out of routine, but you and I and I do understand that the the experts are saying like it should be you shouldn't even think about going to football, going back to football and, and stuff like that. But mm. for me, I'd go over and play at once these flats, mate, to, to finish the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get all, Brent, uh, all the pitches and just, <laughs> go over and just get it done because it's going to have a problem. Obviously, the longer we wait, it's going to have a problem onto the next season and the next season and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'd... I'd I mean, I don't want to put my foot in it, but I don't. I want to go back to football, and or or the seasons just get cancelled and and start again and, and go and mm. go and do play play next season when obviously that's meant to start. Mm. Of course, and, and rightfully so, because like you said, you, you 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 know you're putting in the hard graft, three sessions a day and and and, and whatnot. But also, I guess for you, the timing of of the pause of the season is so like inconvenient because you were in a rich vein of form. So if you're looking at, let's say you're, so you've got five goals in a season, right? And if you look at your goals to games ratio, this is the best goal scoring form that you've been in, in your entire career, right? So what would you, what would you put that down to? What's, what's been so different this season? Why have you been in and amongst the goals more frequently? Um, I don't really know, to be fair. I had that week where I scored three goals in a week and, and that just sort of it sort of give you gives you confidence. Any if you score a goal, it just gives you confidence. And um, it was Andy Carroll that that, that set me up uh, for for two of them. And really, I, I should be doing the setting up for him, but mm. he still gives me a bit of jib for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, nice. No, I don't know. It's just I mean I, I, I think I've played like nineteen games this year, which is. To be fair, it's not a lot. I've had a couple of, I had a hamstring injury and it sort of kept me out for a few few weeks. And and um, but I just feel like if the fitter I am, then the more I can go box. And mm-hmm. where in the past I've probably not been as fit, and I've I go that way where I won't go back that yeah. way. Mm. Now I just feel I feel a lot more, a lot better in my body and a, bit, a lot fitter and. I've, but that obviously down to to being right off the pitch, eating right and, and, and training right and taking care of your body. Yeah, so John Joe, you know, with this impending takeover, we've been seeing some really big names being linked with the club. Mauricio Pochettino, Philip Coutinho, and apparently the Saudi takeover one of you know, Khalidou Koulibaly, their first signing, the Senegalese centre back who for me is one of the best defenders in the world. When you see these sorts of names being linked with the club, are you guys in your group chat thinking, wow, if this happens, you know, licking your lips, you know, <laughs> with anticipation of potentially playing with them? Yeah, uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, it's obviously, if it does happen, it, it'll be obviously great for the, great for the city and great for the club. And you obviously, Hopefully, get these these top players to, to obviously come to Newcastle. And there's a lot of talking points about uh, people moving to Newcastle because the the weather and there's not a lot to do in whether it being so far from London. But like this ain't a sales pitch, but it's a great great city. It's a great place to live. The people are literally 
unreal. They're so friendly and they just love football. Good night out as well, I'm told. <laughs> it's a good night out. <laughs> no, it's just like you walk through the city and they just they they just treat you like one of their own. On come Saturday, nothing else matters than than football. It's just all football. The the city is bouncing. I mean, I've been I've been obviously injured in the past, and you you obviously go to the team are playing away. And you go to the shopping centres on a Saturday with your the, the missus and the kids, and there's no one about, mate, because they're all in pubs watching the games and that, and, mm-hmm. and on them dodgy boxes and things like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it's a great, great city, and to get them sort of players, then you know, it'd be great for the for the city and the club. Obviously, um, going back to um, the coronavirus topic, um, we've seen, you know, teams at the bottom half of the table be opposed um, to resuming in neutral grounds. Um, Paul Barber, the Brighton chairman, has come out and, you know, said his feelings. Um, So are you telling me within the Newcastle camp that everyone's happy for football to resume? Well, I don't know. I don't, I've not spoke to people about, I've not spoke to the players about it, to be fair. I think if they're like me, then they would like to obviously get back to it. But everyone, each each person's different. Each person has a, a, a different view on life. So I understand the chairman and the players. And, and obviously, if the players have got it, then that I don't see how the season can start. If obviously we get tested on, we're getting tested on Friday, and if one of us have got it, then I don't understand how we can go, then go ahead and play. Do you know what I mean? But it's just, it's just one of them things that you just hope that will never ever happen again in our lifetimes. Mm. You know I mean? it's, mm. it's horrible. No, hundred percent. And uh, I just wanted to harp a little back to um, one of uh, Deji's earlier questions, uh, John Joe, when he was talking about, um, you know, some of the players that have been linked to, to, to Newcastle. But obviously, in, in, in recent windows, we've seen, you know, uh, the club invest some money and, and, and get some, some, some players in. And, and most notably, uh, Alan St-Maximin is a, is a player. What a player. Definitely, <laughs> definitely gets a crowd going. Pocket you know rocket. I mean? Pocket rocket. And, and honestly, like you just need to look at his performances of, of late, and he, he just gets everyone going. Like every time you got, it, it, everyone stands up, and everyone's like, right, something's going to come of this. So, so what, what, what's his, what's the impact of his arrival been like? What, what's it like in terms of on, on the, the training pitch and the dressing room and, and that kind of thing? He's a lunatic. Class <laughs> <laughs> man. He's he's some player, but he's he's some guy as well. I mean, he's just one of them that's just so laid back and like head to toe in designer gear. Head to toe. <laughs> <laughs> Big head yeah. <laughs> You have to change it to what a slaz and go on, isn't it? Then I go to headband. He gets fined every day. Because he's got <laughs> and, and stuff like that, but you just have to. You sit there, and he's one of them where if you weren't that if you weren't that good, then you'd probably just say like like you'd have probably have the ump of him. But where is that good? You don't really want to like have a go at him and stuff like that. But he's been he's been outstanding. 
And for me, as a, as a midfield player, to just try and you get your head up. And I'm just thinking, and we're a team that plays on a counter-attack. So we just have to just try and get the ball to him and let him try and dribble around 20 players. <laughs> so, and he's so quick. He's yeah. got what he's going to do with the ball. And he's so obviously raw and he's skill. And I mean, even this side of the game, he's, uh, he's sort of improved a lot defensively because when he first signed he didn't really want to track back and things like that where the gaffer's got him doing that do you know what I mean and yeah. like that's just going to make him even better and I mean I remember the goal he scored against Sheffield United with his head the leap mate I've never, he's, that was up there with like Ronaldo's leaping mm. and you don't like you don't you don't see him in the gym or anything like that he's just one, one of them footballers mm. that's got this electric pace and I can't speak highly enough of him Honestly. Yeah, John Joe, um, another one of your teammates that I want to speak about is Joe Linton. We're very close to um, a football intermediary who actually spoke to us and told us and detailed, you know, the background to his story. You know, this is a guy that was fresh off the favelas in Brazil, went to Rapid Vienna and obviously Hoffenheim. How is it being his teammate? Because from the outside looking in, it looks like he's struggling. So how have the management and the team kind of cajoled him and created that ambience around him to be like a support system to him? I think he struggled because I, I don't think he had anyone over here with him. Yeah. I think his family have now, now moved over and you're starting to see a bit more confidence in him. And, and I think that much money, and that's not his fault, but when you're bought for that much, that much money and you don't, come in and just start scoring goals like that, then people are going to get on your back and, and stuff like that. But you see what he does in training, mate. He scores goals. He's a, and when he first signed, he was playing in the pre-season, like, he was running channels, holding up the ball, getting in behind. And we, like, obviously, I still think he's a very, very good player. Do you think he's a striker, though? Because I remember reading that Brucey probably doesn't see him as a centre-forward. Do you, as a teammate, see him as an out-and-out number nine? I think it's Hoffenheim. I think he played on, on the left. Yeah. But that's where Maxi plays, so he's, he's not. Great. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I just think each of the people that are probably criticising him need to need to just chill out a bit and let him find his feet. Like you said, he's a, he's still only like 21, 22. And he's a man mountain. He's massive. He's strong as an ox. But he, he will he will become a top top striker in this in this league. And I mean, I've played with people like Torres and Suarez and people like that. I mean, I'm not saying that he's in in that league, but he's got the potential to go on to to to, to do things. At Newcastle, you've played under Rafa Benitez and Steve Bruce. The Toon Army had this special bond and affiliation to Rafa. Steve Bruce has come in and results have been similar, but it seems like the fans haven't fully taken to him. What is your experience with Steve Bruce and what's the differences behind the two, between the two, should I say? I just think where Rafford got that great CV behind him and then he left in that, in that way, that it was whoever got the job, whether it be Steve Bruce... Don't know Tony Pulis or any for anyone in the in the world. Me, you was never ever gonna. Is they was never gonna be taken, uh, 
take to that manager like they was Rafa. But I think Steve Bruce has done such a great job in 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 getting us to where we are in the table and the difference between the two. Uh, Rafa's probably more tactical than 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 Steve, but Steve for me probably his man management skills are probably a bit better. Um, but they're still two unbelievable great managers, and I mean you've got to think Rafa's done it all as a as a manager, won everything you 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 really win, and and Bruce has done it as a player, won everything there is to win, and, and worked under Sir Alex. So it's um, they're very different, but they're both unbelievable in their own in their own right. Yeah. So John Joe, um, there was a flashpoint obviously in your career. Um, you might know I'm going to talk about against Wolves where there was an allegation of racial abuse against the Wolves utility man, Roman Sice, where apparently Matt Doherty and uh, Dominic Iorfa heard you, you know, mutter some words. And you apparently said after the charge that you didn't learn anything from it. You didn't contest it. So what's your odds on that actual incident? I went to the the court thing and um, my story of the event held up there's my lawyer absolutely made them crumble and their stories didn't add up and 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 even the FA's lawyers come out and when the the, the verdict was being reached and said um, like well done you've won this is the only FA FA's lawyer and um, we went back in and they said that you, you're, we found you guilty. You're getting a hundred grand fine and a five game ban. So it was a, obviously, the money was the, wasn't the thing. It was the fact that people were obviously going to see you as a, as this racist when you're not. My uncle's, my uncle's black. So if my own family of, of uh, my own uncle is black, how am I going to be a racist? Do you know what I mean? That mm. was this, it was the feeling of having that obviously tagged to you, but it weren't a, a nice feeling at the time because you go and the whole stadiums are singing you racist. Mm. So how does that feel when they're shouting them? Not nice, but like it's all right for people to say to me, "You've got you, you're a bald-headed thingy. You've got can you look like you've got cancer and things like that." That's, you can't tell me this, that's one thing for that and then one thing for that. It's, it's not. It's the same thing at the end of the day. So, uh, I mean, I know what happened. I had Dwight Gal come with me, who, who was a witness, and Alexander Mitrovic, who was a witness. And they happened, but I just feel like the verdict got reached on because of who it was mm. and your, your reputation. And it's one of the things that I've not been in, I wouldn't say I've been in trouble since of 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 that. So I've obviously learned and now if someone says, even if someone calls me a bald-headed C-U-N-T or, uh, I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to swear on it. Yeah, you can. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> this is independent. <laughs> <laughs> Like you look like you've got cancer. I mean, I've got alopecia, so I mean, like you're, I've got ball patches all over the, all over my head. 
So, and I grew up with that. So I've obviously become accustomed to it, but it's still not obviously not nice when people are saying it in your industry when they know that you've you've still you've got a condition. Do you know what I mean? So, but it's just one of them things. You just live and you live and you learn. And like if someone says that to me now, like yeah, it's not nice, but. So what, mate? It's on a football pitch at the end of the day. What goes on a football pitch stays on a football pitch. And if you, there's a problem and, and you want to do something after, then we'll go, down, we'll go and talk about it after. But for me, it's just what goes on a football pitch stays on a football pitch. And you shake hands at the end of the game, get on with it, get on. No, I fully hear that, John Joe. Like, that's, you know, good sentiments. And I want to move on to your international career. Obviously, you've played for England. Um, I remember coming up to the World Cup, there was a huge clamour for you to get into the squad. Then Gareth Southgate came out and said, John Joe's not in the team because there's players better than him. And obviously, there was Lingard, Dyer, Henderson, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Deli Ali. So do you believe these players are better than you? Do you think he was right? Uh, at that time, I felt like I should have gone to the World Cup. Uh, if it was based on form, then I should have been going to the World Cup. But, I mean, I spoke about this the other day and I I wouldn't have mind if, if he give you a phone call and say, look, this is the reason why you're not in, not into it, not in the squad and, and stuff like that. I've seen the press and, and, and stuff like that. And I was getting phone calls from, from TV uh, companies and, and saying, can we do an interview? Because you obviously we've heard that you're going to be in the squad, and sort of got your got your ropes up. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. it's such a thing to go to a massive tournament. But um, at that time, I felt like I should have been in it. I was playing out of my skin, and um, like I had a real good end of the year with with Newcastle, and it was just one of them things where you, it was a bit gutting. But I was on the I was on the golf course, and the squad got announced. So, um, and I wasn't really drinking, to be fair, at that time. So, it got to the point where the squad got announced and I just thought, nah. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John Joe, very last one from me. What's your take on Gareth Southgate? Because he seems like a manager that once you don't fit his system or once he doesn't fancy you, that's it, you're blacklisted. So, do you feel for you to get an opportunity um, in the England team, he needs to leave. Smalling as well, to be fair. Mm. Why he's in charge, I don't think I'll play for for England. And I'm not getting any younger. So, I, I don't, to be fair, I don't even think about it, uh, England anymore. Uh, I was a stage where I was so determined to make each squad. But now I just don't don't think about it. But when you look at the way he's transformed the actual team of playing and and what they did at the World Cup, then I think you have to appreciate the way he got them playing. And and I'm not I'm not like one of them to hold grudges or anything like that. So I wish them the, the obviously the best of luck. And you've got at the end of the day, you've got mates playing there still. Mm. So you want to see them do do well. Do you know what I mean? But uh, but John Joe, the, the 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 criticism is against you know Croatia and the World Cup. We needed a player like you to penetrate the defence. So sometimes you look at that and feel like, look, this is where I would have been needed. If I had his number, mate, you could ring him and ask him. 
like for me, even if I didn't go there and play or didn't start games, then like I would have took me took not being thinking, but I would have took myself because uh, like for the last twenty minutes I can come on and try and do something, try and hit a ball in behind or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it just wasn't to be at the end of the day. They still had a great, great tournament, but it just wasn't to be for me. Uh, fair, fair play. Now, obviously, John Joe, we've got so many more questions we wanted to ask you, but just in the interest of time, we, 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 we've got to finish on this particular question. Now, obviously, the Toonami are a, a vociferous bunch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they, they love their club. Um, so if there were... Um, sort of closing statement you could you could make or one thing you could say to the fans who obviously uh, support you and, and support the club in, in, in such a dedicated way what would that message be? Just to keep supporting and, and, and keep believing and I mean I don't you don't know what's going to happen at the minute but if, it, if things stay the same with the same squad and, 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 and stuff like that then just to keep keep getting it, keep getting to the, the stadium and and keep supporting us the way they have done this year because they've been they've been nuts and it's just 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 to say thanks and and just say it's a pleasure to obviously play for this for this club and there's nothing better than walking out at, at St James's Park with 52,000 Geordies it's just some feeling in the black and white stripes yeah that Gallagher end rocking <laughs> not going to happen for a while because of the closed doors so just hope everything resumes soon 100% man look John Joe we want to say a huge thank you again man you know you've got the two little ones that are keeping you busy and uh, yeah, 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 your brother-in-law as well is probably uh, waiting for you to uh, jump on the second session of the day or whatever <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we're time out to, to have a chat with us man it's just problem Obviously, we, we already mentioned, you know, we're, we're huge supporters of, of you and, and have followed your career from the, from the, from the early days. And so we'll continue to, um, to support you as well, man. Uh, keep doing your thing. So, um, listeners, um, thank you very much for listening in up until this point in time. And all of you that are um, watching this on uh, YouTube, uh, thank you very much for, for, for spending this time with us as well. A reminder... To all of you, if you're not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, it's the Beautiful Game Podcast TV. Uh, you can catch this episode as well as uh, loads of well to keep you uh, occupied during this uh, quarantine period. Um, and also a reminder that you can um, listen to our uh, episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts as well. If you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review. For those of you who aren't yet following us on Twitter, it's at podcast underscore TBG. And on Instagram at pod underscore TBG. So you guys get following, get supporting. We've got uh, uh, more content coming for you guys, like we said, to keep you occupied and, and make sure that you're not twiddling your thumbs over this period. Uh, we're, we're giving you the content uh, live and direct, man. So stay tuned until the next episode and out. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for.
Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash internet for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.